I was stalking hoes in the center of town. Check it out, right here. This is Show World Center, the hottest show in town. Welcome to Tales of Times Square, the tapes. This is Josh Allen Friedman. Last episode, we visited the back office of Bob Anthony, co-founder of The Melody. At Broadway and 48th Street, the theater had a classic burlesque stage with a T-runway and footlights. The house music was usually Sinatra or Doris Day, except when strippers provided their own soundtracks. The Melody represented the decrepit last days of a 50-year striptease era of Minsky's and Gypsy, where you had to have a gimmick. In 1982, the bump and grind bands were gone due to music union costs, and there were no more comedians, like Red Skelton, Lou Costello, or Phil Silvers, who all began in burlesque. No, at the Melody, it all came down to gynecology. Six house strippers doing 20-minute striptease sets, then a touring headliner like Blaze Star or Tempest Storm, a mumbling old announcer, and show cards on stage for each girl. And then a set of Mardi Gras, where 20 girls came out to sit in the laps of working Joes in the audience. There were lots of laughs on stage, and guys in the audience could get their paws or their mouths on house girls for tips, which was unimaginable in the days of Gypsy Rose Lee. The melody kept up a front of this old-fashioned cheesecake burlesque to keep the cops away. In just a little while, this whole era would be over, to be replaced 20 years later with today's neo-burlesque, which is not about sex. I hung out with Raven De La Croix when she headlined the Melody in 1982. Earning thousands a week on the burlesque circuit, Raven became an instant headliner the moment she booked her first show a year before. The legions of tit men out there love classy dames. And Raven had a stylish aura and bearing, like Sophia Loren or Ava Gardner, yet she was down to earth. She starred in Russ Meyer's film Up, and while the girls in Russ Meyer films rarely progressed in dramatic careers, they were canonized by thousands of old boys who missed out on mother's milk and whose eyes became banjos at the sight of bazooms. Looks like you've been fucking an Indian. Oh! 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 Better hurry up with that hot dog. I carried Raven's costume trunk from the Consulate Hotel around the corner from the Melody Theater. Her stage act included coming out as Cleopatra, Pocahontas, or as a goddess, ethereal costumes that reflected a higher calling as a priestess and healer, which she'd become later in life. We're in the headliner's dressing room. Exposed heating pipes, flowers from the management, light bulb mirror surrounded by greeting cards from fans. She's preparing in private to get naked in public. Mind if I get dressed, you could just... No, you want me to close my eyes? Yeah, close my eyes. <laughs> it's hard to keep me close. <laughs> okay. I'm used to this. Um, sure. 
This is Max Baxter's pancake makeup. You use a little water and a little. Uh, um, What's the other kind called? Uh, the body makeup. That's what it is. This pancake is makeup. Max, Max Baxter's pancake makeup, and then you know it's like stage makeup. Uh -huh. Just uh, <clears throat> rub it with a little. Uh, yeah, you get a little dish of water and uh, alcohol and a sponge, and you just plaster it on. And then you have to make it dry, and then you get buff it so it doesn't streak. You have to buff it on your body? Yeah, so it doesn't streak. And so you make it Like structure. a shoe, shoe shine kind of? Something like that, but not, not as intense. All the old dukes were awestruck by Raven's presence in the Melody Theater lobby. I don't see her even charge for Polaroids with fans. That such a woman stands before them, living, breathing, greeting them with a wink and a wisecrack, soon to strip off her clothes for a $7 entrance fee, is too good to be true. She sets the tempo, knows how to handle the wackos, the guys who are trembling, even the one who gets on his knees and prays to her. She casts them a spell. She's street smart and prides herself on keeping control, not becoming a victim. Just that I have a really good instinct. I never used to trust myself, and, and that was wrong. And I just trust myself. I can tell. I, I protect myself. I don't want to end up in a weird place at the wrong time. You know, I'm not a victim. No, I like being very much cause of what happens to me. You know, even back in the old days when I took drugs, I was always the one who took care of everything because I couldn't stand being unconscious because I knew there wasn't anybody else watching out. If I didn't watch out, who knows what was going to happen to the bunch of us, you know? Yeah. So it was always like the mother hen kind of thing. No, I have just, it's just an instinct. You can sense people's, uh, and I don't bring, I'm truthful, so I, if anything, I bring out uh, the bullshit or the, or the good in someone. Like, because like, I don't threaten anybody, you know, I'm not trying to hurt them or find out information in order to use it adversely or to try to dominate them for information. And the stuff I find out about people is incredible. Like, I was coming up to the Melody Theater and this very ordinary Jewish looking young guy was down at the Melody looking at the prime rib pictures in the glass of the girls and uh, and I didn't even, it, I, I noticed him because I'm always careful of the hallways, you know, hallways are weird. Even the and, Melody hallway? Yeah, I mean downstairs, you know, but he just turned around and all of a sudden that normal looking guy who really, you know, looked like a college kid perhaps. The inside of his lips are real red. And he says, do you want a house slave? I pay a thousand dollars for house slave. And this monotone trance-like voice. And I went, no thanks. You know, and uh, I feel like shrieking and running, but he said, no thank you. And he says, you know any girls that do? Dear Mr. Wood, the offers ain't too good. I hate when men inspect me. I wish that you'd direct me. I went to drama school, but now I show my tits. Believe me, it's the pits. Having acting fits. I want to start for Raven reflects on one particular fan standing out there who is a giant. It's like JJ, the big black guy out there. I mean, that guy looks like a moose, you know? And he's like a dear fan, but that's what he is. He knows he's a fan. He doesn't expect anything. He never expects anything. He would never go out with you. Would never go out with him for a drink or anything. Well, he go to Bernard's, yeah, but that's about it. But I, it's not that I don't trust him. It's just that there's no reason to go anyplace else other than Bernard's. He's a fan, you know, kind of a thing. A big fan. A big fan, I'd say. I'm going to digress here a minute. Raven's photos, I'm told, wallpaper this fan, JJ's entire apartment. He was nearly seven feet tall and weighed upward of 500 pounds. 
One afternoon, I was surprised to find J.J. working his day job, a quarter cashier bouncer in the basement of a live peep show on 42nd Street, the kind of place where you overheard bouncers bragging about robberies they committed the night before. This particular establishment employed two spry 500-pound bounces. The other was a Jew from Brooklyn. I saw them both in action. Neither had to lift a finger. They just belly-crushed unruly patrons into the wall. That's a thousand pounds of beef coming at you. They would bang on peeperama doors as soon as the red light went off. You had to keep those quarters coming. Spend money or get out. So I see the door open from one booth, they're banging on, and out comes an, a skinny guy who says he's strapped. Spend money or get out! Keep those corners coming! He pulls out a 38. Both bouncers just parted ways, leaving an open path for the guy to walk out. A bouncer eventually did get shot to death there, but the ambulance medics couldn't carry him out on a stretcher. Nevertheless, I remembered to be on my best behavior in that joint. Anyway, there's J.J. in the lobby of Raven's show, blushing and giggling, asking for her autograph, barely able to speak. Raven knows how to handle these boys and set the tempo with fans. She was once a drug counselor for Narconin in California men's prisons. It was hard to believe a bombshell like her could even enter a men's prison. She conducted therapeutic staring exercises between prisoners. So we were an outside group that was accepted in the prison system in California to go in and teach drug rehab. They had a, a you know acceptable program. What were some of the prisons? California Men's Colony in San Luis Obispo and California Institution for, Institution for Men in Chino. Okay, so when you go into an all-male prison where you're going to be dealing with drug addicts, I, I imagine, or guys coming Criminals, out of it. Murderers, whatever. They don't get to see too many women. What happens when you, of all people, walks into a, a man's prison? Well, you dress conservatively, you know, that'll help. It won't help. Enough. It might help. Well, they did all right. They did? They're used to suppressing themselves because they're in prison. Well, yeah, basically I would get the biggest blackest guy that was most prejudiced and stick him with the biggest redneck. Oh, you'd, have, you'd pair them off? Oh, like yeah. That. I see. I, and then I'd sit with each one of them and show them how to do it. You know, and the changes were astronomical. And this is based a little bit on Scientology and on... But it was, the technology was based on, on Scientology technology of confront... Of, now, you can't tell a guy to get off drugs. You can't change a guy. You, you can't give him some magic answer and all of a sudden he's gonna, you know, he's gonna be different. There's some way you can get the guy to know who he really is by whatever method it takes. Then only he can change himself. Raven de la Croix was different from most other strippers. She stood apart and could observe all that was happening. There were catfights between the girls, ratting each other out for breaking rules. There were aging strippers in denial, girls over 30 who got passed on for tips by 20 guys in a row. When customers sensed the stripper was hungry, growing desperate, they didn't want them. Some girls had so many alias names, nobody could even keep up with what to call them. So Just standing in the back with the melody is those girls back there. Just listening to that lingo and what that what that trip is and where they're coming from. I'm sort of astonished at at how people think. You know, it's like it's all right to go out there and serve lunch for a dollar, but the bastard stuck his finger up her butt. You know, 
and you can't do that. You know, you know it, but it's like they're out there. They're out there just laying on there like a like a like a hog in mud, you know. And their one. values are hilarious. I mean, it's, yeah. it's actually sad, you know, because they don't have any really. They're just they're real confused. A lot of them are just real heavy junkies, and they go out there and they make the bucks, go out, get another fix, come back, make some more bucks, go out, get another fix. They're broke day to day, and they make, you know, a couple hundred bucks a day. You know, just in dollar bills. You know how many guys you got to hug, bump, and scrub for, <laughs> for, for all that money? I, mean, I can't I see fathom that. that. I it's, can't. It's heavy. I'm it's trying like, to figure that out. You know, it's like how many mouths do you kiss? Oh, you know, all these, and then, I don't understand how the guys can do it, too, after 50. Sloppy 50 seconds, you know. I guess they don't get any. They must not get any. The wife doesn't do it anymore. There's, there's so many different things that, that I observe with the girls uh, being forced. You have hundreds of little. How are they forced to get that? Well, it depends on the girls. Like, not every girl, no one could force me. Well, they could physically, I suppose, you know. But I never ran into that situation that I couldn't get out of. Mm -hmm. But. <clears throat> But, uh, it, you know, like if a girl is very easily scared, you know, or doesn't really have, uh, thinks her job is more important than her integrity. Yeah. You know, the guy, the guy, guys find, everyone finds the weakness of the other one. It's like, you know, yeah. the world of prey, you know. You know, the other person will find out what the weak point is and, uh, and dive in there. The, the things I didn't like is young girls who really didn't have control over their own lives. And then, you know, you find these real bastards abusing them and, you know, and just, just sickos who just take advantage and beat the girls up and mm. stuff like that. You know, people that, I mean, you know, the pimp thing, there's no excuse for it, but girls are going to give that, play that game. That's a different category. It's a whole different category, but I'm talking about people who married and have kids at home and they get these 13-year-old girls and they put them to work in the club and then they subject them to all kinds of humilities stuff like that. They put them to work in a strip club? Yeah. You saw them? No. At age 13? Oh, the girl, yeah, this girl's, this girl's, yeah. They say they're 18, or they get fake ID in case of a bust. You know, they use somebody else's card. The headliners on tour who came to New York for a week were in a higher plane of showbiz than most of the local house girls. Raven, who was 33 at the time, was like a den mother trying to help whoever she could. Just the sense that there's no values. And uh, like another girl was having a miscarriage the other day. She, she's married. Yeah, last night. A this girl, girl actually having a miscarriage. Yeah, she was sitting there having a miscarriage, and I'm saying, and she's she was just sitting herself. there she having. She's dragging herself and sweating and, and what? <laughs> dragging herself across the back there, you know, where the stairs are. And I said, What mm -hmm. the hell's wrong with you? I thought she was ODing on stuff or something, you know. And she was like, I'm losing the baby, I'm losing the baby. And I said. Well, how pregnant are you? You know, she said she was uh, a few months pregnant, but she had already been to the doctor uh, Saturday, the Saturday, whenever Saturday was, and uh, the doctor said that she had to stay in bed and do nothing, or else she was going to lose it. But then she said she felt fine. She stopped hemorrhaging and she felt fine. And her husband was in Jersey. She lives in Jersey, and she's over here at the melody. You know, pregnant, running around with all these guys, right? Uh, dancing, bebopping around, doing drugs probably. You know, the management doesn't things. screen, necessarily screen girls. Oh, who, oh. They don't. Uh-uh. No, I suppose it doesn't service the guys properly. And it's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> uh, 
And she just said that, uh, so I said, what the hell are you doing not wearing you in bed? She said, well, I felt good and I thought it'd be all right. But she was, I mean, she was had her pants, trying to get her pants down because she was bleeding all over the place. You know? mm. So I had somebody call her boyfriend and uh, this other chick was ridiculous. She was screaming, oh, making things worse, one of those kind, you know. We told her to get lost and, uh, you know, her husband came and they were going to go to the hospital. Her husband picked her up at work? Yeah. Born in the Bronx and a go-go dancer by age 17, Raven joined up with the Hells Angels in California for most of the 1970s. She married one of their better men and found her best balance enjoying the freedom and brotherhood aspect of that life and left before it could turn bad. As a final coda, I'll relate a story I did not put in Tales of Times Square. Raven was headlining in San Francisco and traveled with two trunks of costumes. One trunk didn't appear at the baggage ramp. A plainclothes cop volunteered to help find it and deliver it back to her hotel. He showed her his badge and waved them through airport security. When he brought the trunk to her room, he told her he was the most decorated cop on the San Francisco force, with commendations for vice busts, drugs, he had a wife and kids, which was all apparently true. Then he pulled a gun. He knew who she was all along, had her magazine spreads, and planned to rape her. She asked him why he was doing this, said if he had kept acting like he was, maybe they could have dated, had a drink. He held the gun to her ear and said, because I could never have a woman who looks like you any other way. She bit her lip and closed her eyes through this ordeal. The vice cop dared her to report it said she'd be laughed at. Who would believe a stripper in town for a weekend booking against a highly decorated cop? No chance. Three weeks later, she became pregnant. She decided to keep it. But then an infection set in, ruptured tubes from the rape, and she miscarried. She went to the hospital for surgery, after which they told her she could never get pregnant again. I was mortified when Raven revealed this, indignant that she didn't even report it but she did report it to her ex-husband in the Hells Angels, told him the cop's name. She'd never asked him for a favor or needed protection before, but he said he'd take care of it. And as the incident was related to me, six Hells Angels caught up with the vice cop. What took place involved a meeting between the vice cop's genitals and a sledgehammer, which came down full force. Everyone loved Raven, who was kind and worldly, but perhaps a bit innocent for the shark-infested waters of showbiz and burly Q. In the 21st century, she is now a flourishing spiritual counselor and minister in Sedona, Arizona. One of the best afterlives I've heard for a former burlesque queen. I saw the lights go on for the all-life whirly girly review Broadway's worst burly cue This is Josh Allen Friedman for Tales of Times Square, the tapes. Live new girls were dining like the Barclays of Broadway See our website at blackcracker.fm We'll return next week on Old Broadway. Lord, I pray if I die before I wake, somebody dump my tray. 
Tommy Gun and Angel were fisting on the Triple Treat stage eight times a day. Angel said, in three months, baby, our mobile home will be paid away. Tommy wore his werewolf mask, was playing at the moon. Show business, show business, I'll have to leave it soon.